Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast The Endurance of Labor Laws. I'm your lovely host Leslie Sullivan, and today is episode 131, and we are going to take a look at the Marine Engineers Beneficial Association. But first of all, let me give a big shout out to my listeners. So a big shout out to Virginia, Oklahoma, Texas, New York, Pennsylvania, British Columbia, Illinois, Oregon, Ohio, Florida, and Arkansas. In terms of countries, the United States, Canada, the Russian Federation, and the United Kingdom. So it's good to see you guys. Okay, so the Marine Engineers Beneficial Association might sound familiar, but we have never actually done this one. The reason why it might sound familiar is because we have discussed engineers in the past. We have discussed um, the marine industry, not the Marine Corps, but Marines in terms of the industry where you're dealing with the oceans, the seas, the lakes, that kind of thing. You're dealing with jobs that are on the water, or at least the waterfront. We've discussed those a little bit. One of the labor unions that we discussed in times past was the longshoremen. They're the ones that are extremely overpaid. They're paid almost like what a doctor makes, but yet they've never been to medical school. These are not the same people. This is actually just a beneficial association. So this one goes back quite a ways, but we're going to try and make this short and sweet. So again, it is the Marine Engineers Beneficial Association, also known as MEBA. They were founded February 23, 1875, so they go back quite a ways. They are a trade union. They are headquartered in Washington D.C., but that's not where they were founded. This is truly a American, I would say, trade union because it's not an international union. They only have one location in terms of countries, and that is the United States. So it's good to see that. So it is a truly American labor union. As of 2014, they had 23,400 members. Their current president is Adam Vokak. They have affiliations with the AFL-CIO. Their their former name was National Marine Engineers Association, but their name changed because they combined with several different associations. So a little bit about this, because I'm not going to read every little thing about this one because the wording is off, and so it's kind of like I don't want to mess this up. So it says that the Marine Engineers Beneficial Association, also known as MEBA, is the oldest maritime trade union in the United States. It is still currently in existence, which is awesome because it's been around since 1875. This union or association represents licensed mariners, especially deck and engine officers, working in the United States merchant marine aboard U.S. flagged vessels. And a little bit about what they do: it says that they work on both the oceans and the Great Lakes, and this can include on container ships, tankers. Cruise ships, drill ships, tugboats, and ferries. So it's one of those things that their role has changed over the years, because you know they didn't have the boats that we have today way back then. And what's interesting is that way back in the 1800s, they did not have a school for engineers in terms of maritime engineering and things of that nature. So this association grew over time, and the number one reason why it grew was because of safety issues. So, you know, steamboat technology was relatively new around this time, around the turn of the century, in the 1800s, and so they were wanting the ships to go faster and faster, but they did not have the training to really understand all this stuff, and so there were a lot of injuries, there were a lot of deaths in this industry, 
And so this particular association, before it became a big one, it started out locally per se. And what they did was they, they tried to go to Congress and say, hey, we need to have a safer working environment because what's going on now is really bad. So we need to make sure that the people that are operating these boats all over the United States, wherever they may be located, they need to be licensed. They need to have proper training. And also, they need to have better benefits. So because of this association, now the members and their families of this group have collective bargaining agreements for a good medical plan, a 401k, a pension trust, and a vacation plan. Whereas before they came together, they did not have all that. They actually had very low wages. And yet their job was not very safe. So the first thing that really got their attention was safety. And they really wanted to make sure that things got better, not worse. So there were steamship owners on the Mississippi and the Great Lakes that were competing with each other. And so even though they were competing with each other, they both had the same problems where their, their industry was not safe. And so another thing that this association did was it made requirements via the Congress passing, I guess what's called, I think it's called the Steamboat Act, although I could not find very much information about that act. So I'll see if I can't find it. But supposedly in 1838, the first Steamboat Act was implemented. However, it was not very efficient. So it's one of those things that when you have a new industry and you're trying to pass laws, It's not always efficient, the, the best go-around or the first go-around. So they had to really work on things, and then they passed another enhancement to that act in 1852. So that Steamboat Act started things moving in the right direction. And then this association was later on founded in 1875. And the reason why it was founded in 1875, not earlier, was because There were engineers across the United States, like in Buffalo. I think the first one was the Buffalo Association of Engineers. Um, they gathered together in 1854. But there were other associations across the United States that they founded their own group in their area because they did not have representation. And the reason why they did not have representation, per se, was because this was a fairly new industry. This was new technology. They're still learning about things. It's kind of like what we've talked about in times past with Superfund sites. And in case you're new to this podcast, a Superfund site is an extremely toxic hazardous waste site that was caused either by a company in the private sector and or by the government, usually by our military, and they contaminate the environment. Now, in those situations, sometimes it's intentional. Most of the time it is not. But here's the thing. Sometimes people make mistakes. And so the way that you learn is you address the mistake and you create policies and procedures so that those mistakes do not occur again. It's the exact same thing that's going on here in the Marine Engineers Beneficial Association in the formation of this group. They noticed all these issues that were going on probably for like three or four decades before they actually formed this association. And what's interesting is that different groups throughout the country started in their area and then they realized, hey, We actually have the same goal in mind. Why don't we come together under one umbrella and then we can really make this industry safe? Because if you can just imagine, you know, it was very common for people in this industry, mostly men worked these jobs, not very many women, okay? It was not uncommon for a man to lose a limb in this job and or be completely dismembered or to get killed on the job. 
Unfortunately, because of the nature of this job, it was very dangerous and they did not have like a disability package or a pension fund. So if they got hurt or dismembered or killed, they had no way of earning a living after that. Their their family was totally out of luck, especially if the man died. There were a lot of widows because of the nature of this job. So it's one of those things, new technology was invented. You have people that work in that industry and so they're learning as they go. And here's the thing, again, they did not have an engineering school at this time for this type of machinery. It was you learned on the job. Like there were things you learned on the shore with your what was called a shoreside job. But then they became engineers on these boats and so they had to do hands-on training and hands-on learning. Now I will say this, their membership and the technology that was used in this industry greatly increased during World War 1 and World War 2. Why? Because we were at war. And the men that worked in this association, these types of engineers, they may not have necessarily been in the military, but they were very much hired by the military during these two world wars to help us win the war in both this in both instances, excuse me. Sorry, my mouth is dry. Hold on just a second. It's gotten hot again here in Oklahoma. We had really nice weather for the last couple of days and then now it's getting back up to 100 and something. So whenever it gets really hot, it gets humid and then it's like it feels like there's not air in the air, if that makes sense. So needless to say, um I do not have a sinus issue at this point in time because the air just feels so funky. But anyway, um they did create a school though, which I think was really good. So it says following the establishment of the US Navy Academy in the 1800s, the Marine Engineers Beneficial Association established the Calhoun Marine Engineers Beneficial Association Engineering School in 1966 in Baltimore, Maryland. So that's one of the first of its kind if you think about it. So they were already working in this industry for like 3 or 4 decades before 1875. Come 1875, it's official. They are an association. They are a labor union. They are a trade union. They did not have an official school until 1966. So if you think about it, that's quite a long period of time that there's not a formal education specifically for this industry. But they did have certifications that they had to meet. One of the sort of certifications they had to meet before these schools were founded or invented. was they had to be certified as a marine time engineer. So this was certification that they got on the job training. Also, they made it so that only Americans could work in that industry and on these ships. That was actually really smart to do that because there were a lot of people that were immigrating to the United States at that time. We have a lot of immigrants that come here anyway, but during that time we had a lot of people coming here to the United States that did not have a good basic education. So then you had very cheap labor working on these ships and it was causing a problem with safety. It's the exact same that's going on today. We have immigrants that are coming here and yes, they want to come here, they want to be American, they want to work here, but what's their education level? See what people may not realize is that, you know, the United States, we will take almost anyone, which I don't think we should. I think we have too many people in the United States as it is. I think we need to limit immigration for sure. And you know, for, for those that get offended by that, you know, you might not realize other countries do that exact same thing. They limit how many people they allow into their country to become citizens. Canada is one of them. Canada is very strict, and I know this for a fact. 
because I dated a guy way back in the day. He was a little bit older than me. He was initially from Spain, but he immigrated to Canada, and he had just received his Canadian uh, citizenship. And I was like, "Oh, what was that like?" He said, "Oh, it was it was horrible. It took so long to get it." I was like, "What?" He goes, "You have no idea how hard it is to get into Canada. They are way stricter than the United States. It's not just a free for all." And so he explained to me how Canadian citizenship is very hard to acquire if you're not born there in Canada. So what he had to do, what Canada requires is that you submit a resume and you submit your your transcripts for your education. If you don't have an education or or if you don't have a good job history, Canada denies your application to become a citizen there. Because it took him a while to become a citizen in Canada. Even though he had a great education from a really good university in Spain, he had really good work history. I mean, he was very educated. I think he's probably in his 30s or 40s by the time I met him. I can't remember how old he was. He looked young for his age, but you know, he was very educated, I would say. But even so, Canada was very strict about who they let in. They don't just let in anybody. So what I find interesting is that there are many countries that are like that. They do not just allow anybody and everybody into their country, but yet the United States gets criticized for trying to have, you know, good immigration laws. And what I mean by good, I mean strict. I mean really helping out the United States to have a safe country and making sure that people that come here are who they say they are. When there are more countries on the face of this earth that have way stricter policies and procedures about citizenship and immigration. So I think we kind of need to take a leaf or a, you know a a page out of Canada's book so to speak and be way stricter about who we allow into the United States and who we allow to become a US citizen because I think we have a lot of people here that should not be here. Cuz I don't think I'll just say it there are there are some people that come here to the United States they do not have the best intentions for our country. And I think that is a big mistake to let those kind of people in because we have had issues where there have been people that have immigrated to the United States and have caused a lot of harm. So I think we need to be careful about that. So just FYI, that's one reason why I think this this labor union and this association is pretty good for the most part. I can't find anything bad per se because I don't see where they're getting overpaid or anything. and I don't see where they're causing any issues in the labor force. I just don't see it as of yet. But you know, I think it's really good that they created a I guess a a model of work employment where anyone that works on these ships needs to be an American citizen. They cannot be someone that that just got off a ship and is not going to work on a ship. It can't be like that. And so you know, I think that's really good that they did that. Because if you think about these jobs directly impacted or helped or benefited the outcome of World War 1 and World War 2. Can you imagine if we had had, you know, traitors or enemies working on our ships? Like that's the issue. And there may be some listening to this and say, "Well, Leslie, that was in times past. That's not relevant today." Let me tell you this. Let me say this. It is still very relevant because you still need to be careful who you employ that is from another country to work in certain industries because it directly impacts the safety of the United States. So, this association actually helped to protect the employment of Americans, employ Americans first because we're not responsible for immigrants or foreigners or illegals. We are not. That probably sounds harsh, but I don't care because it's the truth. 
On this show, we call a spade a spade. You know, the United States is not a nanny. We, we are not responsible for the planet. And when people come here illegally, we are not responsible for their food, water, and shelter. They are. And if they were smart, they would not travel someplace illegally and then try and get on all these benefit packages, which they don't deserve to have because they're not even paying for them. So... I think this association has done a really good job of preserving jobs specifically for Americans and it also keeps the industry safe. Very much so. So needless to say, they have really good benefits. It talks a little bit about their pension plans. They have a couple of different pension plans depending on when you retire within this type of employment. So if you retire early, they have one for that. If you retire because you have to, because you got hurt, they have a disability plan for that. And then they have a disability or not disability. They have a pension plan that is for those that worked the the full amount of years that you need to work in order to get the maximum payout for your pension plan, which if it was me, that's what I would do. So kudos to them for inventing that and doing a really good job of taking care of their people. Now, Here here's what I found interesting. They have ports all along the coast of the entire United States and then some. So their associated port locations is Seattle, Washington, San Francisco, Oakland, California, Los Angeles, San Pedro, California, Honolulu, Hawaii, Houston, Texas, New Orleans, Louisiana, Tampa, Florida, Jacksonville, Florida, Charleston, South Carolina, Norfolk, Virginia, Baltimore, Maryland, New York, New Jersey, Cleveland, Ohio, and Boston, Massachusetts. Now, if, if what you will notice here is that some of these ports are in conjunction with the Longshoremen Association. And also, what I found interesting is that some of these places where these ports are, they're notoriously liberal, very democrat, and they tend to cause problems with inflation on our goods because whenever they throw a hissy fit in that area, It makes it very difficult to ship and transport goods, which I think is very cruel to do that to people of the United States. Now, mind you, I don't show anywhere in this data where they have actually caused that issue. I'm just saying that these ports there there are different companies and different labor unions that have access to these ports. So, I think it's a mistake for labor unions and trade unions to have access or control or the majority of control at these ports because these ports do not belong to them. They belong to the United States. And these ports are supposed to be utilized by I would say private sector companies. It's not for labor unions, it's not for trade unions, it's for private sector companies that are trying to bring goods in and export goods out. Unfortunately, trade unions and labor unions tend to get in the way of that. However, with this one, I don't see where they actually have gotten in the way of it. However, the fact that they have locations at these ports concerns me with this. Cuz as we've seen in times past, labor unions and trade unions they try and take over a whole industry. And then that's when they greatly increase their own wages, and then we the American people suffer the cost of that because that's more money out of our pocket going into their pocket. Because as I've said in times past, a lot of labor unions and a lot of trade unions do not understand inflation. They don't understand cost analysis, and they don't understand how goods work. They don't understand supply and demand. All they see is that they want their pension plan, they want bargaining agreements. You know, it's all about them. 
It's like they set themselves apart outside of the United States. Well, that's not really how this works. You're either an American or you're not. If you're an American, you're equal to everybody. You're not better than anybody else and you're not lower than anybody else. Unfortunately, for a lot of these labor unions and trade unions, whenever they start getting into these collective bargaining agreements and these little tips, they tend to think of their labor as more important than other people's. That is a big problem. Because that is what is causing inflation in this country. It's one reason. Unions have been causing problems with inflation and and have been how to describe this? Because of their unrealistic expectations of what they think they should be paid, it has affected our currency. And the reason why it has affected our currency is because a lot of labor unions deal with with uh blue collar jobs. And in and in this particular case, it's import and exports. Well, that has a direct impact on the cost of goods that you and I pay or purchase at a store, where it's Target, Walgreens, CVS, whatever the case may be, or even local mom and pop shops. See what these labor unions and trade unions don't realize is that whenever they greatly increase their wages, their benefits, their pension plans, and it's just astronomical. It's unrealistic like what they have and what they think they should have. They're actually punishing small business owners way worse than large corporations because whenever you affect your currency and you affect inflation, it's people that don't make as much that suffer the worst. So if these labor unions and trade unions actually cared about other people and actually cared about the underdog, quote unquote, they would not overinflate their wages and their job responsibilities. they would be realistic about it and they would not try and take over different private sector companies and get a stranglehold on the industry and say hey well you have to pay us this because we're the union we're the association this is what we demand because we're the workers well what i would do if they try and pull that just like the not the air flight attendants what was it the air traffic controllers i'd fire all of them i'd be like you either get back to work and do your job or you're fired that is literally what i would do because it is not right for them to play the favoritism card and make it seem like they're the favorite and everybody else should suffer and bow a knee to their bidding that's not the american way so this association i don't see where they've done anything funky in terms of wages but they are a beneficial association meaning this predominantly helps them get really good benefits Should they get good benefits? Yes, but it has to be reasonable and it has to be realistic. And it should not be affecting the cost of goods drastically. It should not be causing inflation. I just wonder if it's doing that though. That's my concern. They do have quite a few members. Um what's interesting is that their membership grew to like 200,000 in the 1940s because of World War II. And then because of the baby boomer uh generation and stuff like that or the baby boom basically our grandparents having all the baby boomers giving birth and stuff so a lot of that membership grew and then it kind of dwindled down to 23,400 because there's only so much a organization can grow because you know most of the states in the United States are landlocked so needless to say once the war was over a lot of these people had to go back to more normal type jobs because not everybody can work on the ocean not everybody can work on a lake 
So the majority of jobs are landlocked jobs. There, there are different things that go into that. So that's why their membership probably dropped is because both world wars ended and they had to find a different job because there's only so many people you need on a boat or a ship, right? So that's one reason why they probably went into different industries. But that is it for this podcast. Like I said, short and sweet. And as far as I can tell, it's a normal one. I don't see where they're causing problems. But then again, that just means that the information isn't there per se. Um, they do have a website. I haven't really gone to detail on that because I doubt where they will talk about, you know, what they get paid or how much they think they should be paid and things of that nature. Um, it doesn't really go into a lot of detail about that. It does give their history on their website, how to join the ports and offices. They list a directory. Um, they list an option where it says want to unionize. I'm guessing like if you own a company or well, you wouldn't be the owner. Uh, if you were like one of the workers or something, you want to unionize, then they give you that opportunity. But so far, I don't see anything bad about this one. So I hope it stays that way. Because, you know, if we are going to have labor unions, and I hope, I hope and pray that they're good and that they, um, they have the best intention for the United States. Whereas most of the labor unions and trade unions we have discussed in times past, they have not always had the best intentions towards the United States because they have practiced greed, fraud, and embezzlement. This one, I haven't seen them do that. I haven't seen, I have not seen that come up yet. So that's really good news there. So I will go ahead and end this podcast. Um, but until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.